Welcome to SpotCast, your single point of contact podcast for the service management and support industries brought to you by HDI on the web at thinkhdi.com. Smarter service, better business, HDI. I'm your host for SpotCast, Roy Atkinson. Episode 26 is an interview with David Moskowitz. David started his formal career as an operating systems programmer and systems architect, which required that he looked not just at the code he had written, but also how the resulting operating system might impact the applications that would run on the computer. Later, while serving in the U.S. Army, he was tasked to apply that approach, looking at different forms of systems and complexity regarding where and how U.S. forces were engaged. This required working within the integration of staff functions and later civilian military operations and planning. After his military service, he continued to apply a systems approach to his job and later as a consultant. He is recognized and certified as an ITIL expert, applying the approach that IT service management represents a management system. Since mid-2018, he has worked with clients to assist them to integrate their ITSM activities with the critical need to include better cybersecurity hygiene. David, thanks very much for being uh, on the podcast today. It's a pleasure to talk to you, as always. Uh, it's my pleasure, Roy. We have had such phenomenal conversations in the past that I'm glad to be able to do this. Thank you. Today we're going to talk about systems thinking, and I, I'd love for you to define that for us and just talk a little bit about it, and and then we'll get into some of the details about why it might be important. So can you give us okay. kind of a definition? Well, there are lots of uh, single or sentence definitions, but I like um, something that I got from Dr. Russ Acuff, who uh, was a professor at Penn, and I'm in the Philadelphia area, so it was easy to listen to and audit some of his lectures. And I like his approach better than most of the others that I've seen. Now, having said that, before I get into what he said, there are so many different aspects of systems thinking that I don't know that there is a single accepted, absolute unifying definition for the term. I think it means different things to different people. And obviously, if you talk to somebody in IT and talk about systems thinking, the first thing they're likely to think about is an operating system or something related to it. But from that perspective, systems thinking is a way of understanding a whole, W-H-O-L-E, that consists of parts where each part affects the behavior or the properties of the whole itself. If you think about it, um, a car is a system for transportation and pressing on the accelerator changes the fuel flow, which changes the engine speed, which changes the car, but the car can also, the direction of the car can also be changed by turning the steering wheel so that each individual part of the car impacts the properties of the whole so that each part of the system has an impact on the system. But you can't look at the system as a collection of independent parts 
because each part in the system is dependent upon some other part for that particular system to operate. Again, if you look at a car, you can't make a wheel go without the drive shaft and the motor and the whole fuel system so that and in fact if you take the car apart and then say that you're going to construct a car from all of the best of breed pieces from every car that's ever been made and you put that together with the best engine the best wheels the best tire the best steering wheel the best paint job the best cylinder heads the best spark plugs and put it all together you probably wouldn't be surprised to discover that it's not likely to work because the parts weren't made to fit together they weren't made to operate together they weren't made to work together and that's the other thing about a system is that no part of a system or even a collection of parts of a system has an independent effect. You can't take the motor out of a car and go anywhere. It's no longer a transportation system. So that the system has to be viewed as a whole. And that's part of the challenge. Because a lot of people don't see the whole, W-H-O-L-E, they see a whole, H-O-L-E. So that in some cases, they look at the world through a straw as opposed to seeing everything that's there, because you can't divide a system into independent parts and get the same results. So that, if you will, the essential or defining properties of any system are not properties of the parts their properties of the whole. None of the individual parts have the property as a whole. So what that leads to is that, um, and this again comes from uh, Dr. Acuff, and I think it's a brilliant uh, encapsulation. The system is not the sum of its parts. It's the product of their interactions. That gets back to stuff that Deming was talking about. You can't fix a system by fixing a part of the system. You have to consider the whole, not look at it again, if you will, through a straw. You can't improve the parts of a system separately. The performance of the system depends upon how the parts interact not how they fit together or how they're taken separately. What's different about systems thinking than traditional thinking? In traditional thinking, we analyze a problem. In fact, the very definition of the word analysis has inherent in the definition this breaking this thing into parts. In an analysis, it's the examination of the parts that matter. Think about the idea of just things like root cause analysis for a moment. Forgetting for a moment that there's rarely a pinpoint single root cause, the analysis does what? It tries to take things apart and figure out which 
part is the issue of or as part of causing a failure. If we do for availability, we do a component failure impact analysis. What is it that we're looking for? The part that can cause a problem. So we try and isolate small parts of the system under study. We examine the parts. We don't examine the whole. And what happens? How often have you seen that you have a, quote, fix for a problem, but that fix exposes some additional errors or vulnerabilities? That's what we call playing whack-a-mole, right? Yeah, exactly. It's something else pops up and you go fix that and something else pops up. The systems act exactly as they're designed, right? System mm-hmm. functions according to its design. Is that something that we need to look at a little bit differently? Because sometimes, obviously, the outputs that we get and the outcomes that we get are not as intended. And therefore, we tend to look for the part that's causing the problem uh, when, in fact, the system is functioning exactly as it's designed. What are some of the ways we can avoid that? And and I would say that maybe that's a, a circular question because it goes back to thinking about the system. Well, there is some confusion about the origins of a the statement that suggests that any system is perfectly designed to get the results or outcomes that it's currently delivering. And it's often attributed to Deming, and I, I can't argue with it, but I've seen others get credited with variants of the same thing. But what that says, and it goes back to something I said a few moments ago, and that is you can't fix the system by fixing the parts. And that gets into something, by the way, that, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Peter Senge, S-E-N-G-E, um, who wrote mm-hmm. the book, The Fifth Discipline, mm-hmm. um, talks about building a learning organization. And from his perspective, the learning organization has to learn to think differently. And he uses a phrase or a word that has its origins in Greek, uh, metanoia, that is really um, what it comes down to is an intentioned paradigm shift, an intentioned change in thinking. And it's difficult to go from traditional analysis to an analysis of the system as a whole. We're used to looking at parts. This secondary effect, the whack-a-mole, as you refer to it, occurs because we're so used to deconstructing this thing that we don't necessarily look at it from the perspective of the whole. And in fact, uh, an example just popped into my head. Um, We have specialists for, there's podiatrists, there's cardiologists, there's people who deal with ear, nose, and throat internal medicine and orthopods and people who look at eyes and how many of them are looking at the whole? Why does your pharmacist 
sometimes have a better view of what's going on with you than your doctor because the pharmacist knows everything that you're taking and can deal with drug interactions because the doctor sees their specialty within limits. And I'm not trying to impugn the medical profession, but it comes back to the idea of the golden hammer. If this is your perspective and all you have is a hammer, then every problem that you try to solve looks like a nail. That's an issue that pops up again and again and again in our world, it, IT in the general sense, right? Let the technology fix it. Or, you know, oh, we've got software that'll do that. Uh, it seems to be our first response to almost anything that we get asked to do or fix or accomplish. And so we're looking at our hammer, which is the IT environment, to fix issues which are perhaps grounded elsewhere and often are, as we know. Mm -hmm. and, and let me go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago. You brought up the word organization, and I was thinking that one of the, the biggest systems that we need to consider is the organization in which we work or that mm -hmm. we're trying to help and so forth. So in, in what ways can we uh, use systems thinking when we look at organizations and try to assess what improvements need to be made in order to accomplish what it is that we're trying to do? Ah, and now we get into the area of organizational change management. How many times have we tried to deal with a technical solution or we're going to do things this way and over some period of time, um, the rubber band snaps and we're right back where we were before. The idea of um, sometimes a silver bullet approach. And now the question is um, something, and one of the things that started me down the path of thinking differently was the realization that every single technical problem that I've ever been asked to solve. And I've developed and worked on um, compilers for different languages. I've worked on language optimization. I've worked in AI. I've worked in dealing with military systems and operating systems and applications so that my background is fairly technical. But it, the thing that hit me was that every single problem that I'd ever been asked to solve had at its core people, not technology, at the root of what was going on, at the root of the problem. People either created the problem or the need for a solution. And that made me look at things a little bit differently to the point where I was dealing with um, one company where I was an employee and they were looking at building some new hardware. And in the senior design meeting, I asked, did anybody check with the customer to find out whether or not this is something that the customer wants. And I realized that I was working at the wrong place when the answer I got back was, the customer doesn't know. That's our job. Uh -huh. And that combined with people at the core, well, first of all, that was obviously a particular person problem. But it also said that it's not just the organization 
that we have to fix. That's a part of the system. It's the organization and all of its stakeholders, which include potentially shareholders, if it's publicly traded, customers, partners, suppliers, and employees. But it all starts at the level of people and understanding expectations and outcomes. That's part of what occurs with instead of looking at it through the lens of it has to be a technical problem is looking at it at a different lens that says, what's the real system that I'm trying to understand? And then we have to look at um, three different flows. How does work flow? How does communication flow? How does improvement flow? With the understanding that structure and behavior of a system are inexorably linked. You can't change or impact one without changing the other. So that the answer to your question is, I find it sometimes simpler in my own consulting practice to look at how work actually flows, not how they say it flows. How does communication actually flow, not how they say it does, or not what the reporting channel is. And how are improvements handled? How do they flow through the organization? How much of it is reactive? How much of it is proactive? And the same thing is true, that same filter applied to communication and work. How much of it is wasted work? How much of it is productive work? And how does that contribute to the overall enterprise experience and the outcomes that are expected by stakeholders? So it's a different point of view, but that gets back to this idea of metanoia that Peter Senge is talking about. The issue is we have to think differently. We have to get out of seeing a whole and looking at the whole, which may mean that the first question is, how big is the whole? I mean, clearly, if I'm the only car on the road, then I can do what I want with a level of impunity. But if I'm dealing with traffic out in L.A., where I've got and that area, and I've got, you know, eight lanes going in one direction. I remember being pulled over by California Highway Patrol when I was there on business once. I was doing the speed limit, and he, I got pulled over for obstructing traffic because mm. the, the flow on that eight-lane highway was going much faster, and I didn't want to get a speeding ticket. And mm -hmm. The California Highway Patrol uh, individual was quite polite and nice when he saw that I had an out-of-state license and said, you know, the best thing I can tell you, and it was so typical for California, it made me smile. And I think he said it deliberately, was you have to go with the flow. Right. <laughs> and that particular phrase ties into something you said a couple of minutes ago about how things actually happen as opposed to how they say they happen, right? That's mm -hmm. one of the things that you discover if you do a little investigation into any organization is what they think is going on and what's actually going on may be quite a bit different from each other. Yep. And and the, the way things actually happen uh, is more 
the literal culture of the organization than the way things are said to happen. And, and therein, there are uh, many problems. And talking about organizational change, I'm reminded of a study that we did, HCI did, not too long ago, a little over a year ago, in which we looked at uh, the expansion of enterprise service management. Uh, many, many, many organizations in that study said that they were deploying uh, service management tools across the organization and expanding the ideas of service management to different parts of the organization, etc. And one of the questions we asked is, well, was there organizational change management involved in this? Only 24% of the organizations involved said yes. So, so more than three quarters of the organizations that were doing this change to enterprise service management were not utilizing elements of organizational change to make it happen. And I think that's fairly common in our world, right? The software goes in and the processes might be changed, but there's no effort to make sure that the people, parts of that organization, uh, the behaviors of the people involved are not going to fall right back to the way they were doing things before and not leveraging the new technologies in many cases, they're not even being trained on the new technologies, right? Or don't so, even know that they're coming. Or don't even know that they're coming. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite phrases that came out of a local chapter uh, HDI meeting, uh, a woman from an insurance company, we were talking about major projects for the organization that year, whatever year that was. And she said she had somebody call the service desk and said after the specific software was updated, yesterday I knew how to do my job, today I don't. And that's a tremendous impact on somebody when you take a tool that they are they use all day long and transform it into something else, either change the two entirely or change the way it works or the way some of it works or take their macros out of it or whatever whatever shortcuts that they've learned to do over the years. There's tremendous people impact in any of those changes. Let, let me just give you a very, very concrete example. Consider something that occurred several years ago that maybe some listeners don't recall, but Microsoft went from the menu system to the ribbon system. How many people got stuck and wanted to go back to the menu because they didn't know how to operate the new Windows Office stuff thing that what is this junk that you're forcing me to deal with? That goes back to what, 2007, I think. Yeah, that happens to be the piece of software that was in question in that chapter meeting, by the way. So there you I'm, go. I'm, I'm not surprised. But the other issue, and you touched on it, and I did too, so let me sort of um, bring this home a minute. You said, how do we use this to deal with impacting organizations? What it means is that we have to expand our view beyond the parts or the components of a system. We have to look at the interactions within that system. That's what I was talking about when I said you have to examine the flows. Those are the interactions. Actions produce results. Results shape future actions so that we have to understand that effects cause relationship. It, it, it can't be the syndrome we were talking about a little bit earlier. Right. Uh, it, it, 
it actually has to be real change. And it you have to understand this notion that real change has to impact both the structure of the system and the behaviors within the system because the system is not what we say it is, but how things flow. What are the interactions of the parts? How do they interact on each other, not what are the parts? Well, we have change management. I mean, I I don't know about you, but I know I've gotten this call more than once or seen it more than once from uh, an incident uh, management mandates that all tickets have to be closed within 24 hours. Well, you know what happens as well as I do. 23.59, they close all the tickets. After midnight, they open them all back up again. And because you're opening new tickets, you have new numbers. And now people want to know, my ticket's closed, but I've got a new number. for. The, uh, 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 I feel like, you know, if anybody wants to find the old um, honeymooner stuff on um, YouTube or whatever. It's Ralph Cramden sitting there going, hamana, 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 hamana. Now right. what do I do? Right, exactly. Well, sir, with that, I will say thank you so much for chatting. I always appreciate a conversation with you, David, as I said at the beginning. And, uh, Roy, uh, we- and it's mutual, trust me. We make each other think, and that's an important aspect. It certainly is. Thank you for listening. Visit HDI on the web at thinkhdi.com to learn more about our events, training, consulting services, research, and more. I'm your host, Roy Atkinson. Until next time, take care.